you're going to be playing some of the least amount of structured soccer that you've played since you're about five years old. So it's really important to find competitive driven student athletes who want to get better on their own. That was Tufts University men's soccer coach Kyle Desitel. And he's the guest on today's episode of New England Soccer Journal's The Goal Podcast. Welcome to New England Soccer Journal's The Goal Podcast, the podcast for serious soccer players and their supporters to help further their development and navigate their way throughout their soccer careers. And now, here's your host, Matt Langoni. Welcome to another episode of New England Soccer Journal's The Goal Podcast. Today, I'll be joined by Tufts University men's soccer coach, Kyle Desitel. Kyle, thanks so much for being here. Yeah, Matt, thanks for, thanks for having me. We, it's a wintry day here in Boston, so we're <laughs> excited to talk, talk some soccer. It's funny that it goes from uh, 61 degrees yesterday to whatever it was this morning, but I guess that's kind of par for the course for all of us at this point. Yeah, I guess so. So before we really ramp into a conversation here about a, a lot of different topics, let's just uh, touch on on last season for your program. Good, solid season, 8-3-7 and seven final record, second round of the NCAA tournament. Just What are your thoughts on how 2022 played out? Yeah, 2022 was always going to be an interesting year for our team. We were incredibly talented in 2021, but also very senior heavy and fifth year senior heavy. And I think we had seven or eight guys would come back for an extra year in 2021. So we always knew 2022 was just going to be kind of a changing of the guard for for our program and just a, a little bit of a new generation of, of tough men's soccer. So in a lot of ways, I think I think our year was quite successful. There's high expectations and high standards here at Tufts. Coach Shapiro, for the, for the good and bad of both sides of that, set us <laughs> up with multiple national championships and the expectation that, that national championships are a possibility within our program. And obviously playing in the NESCAC, our, our conference is so strong that those are those are kind of the standards and your, your lofty ambitions are always to compete for a NESCAC championship and try to compete in and around a, a national championship level. So overall, I think making it to the NCAA tournament, only losing, I guess we in the end, uh, with NCAAs, we lost three games the whole season. I think overall, I would actually argue that we had a, a pretty successful season, given how young, how new to how new to college soccer so many of our guys were that were really impacting the season. But we also know we have really high standards here, and ultimately, we'd we'd love for our seasons to still be continuing into into December as often as possible. But more positives than negative. Really liked the group that we had. Thought we thought we really competed. Thought we were really tough to beat, which was kind of the first priority and make yourself tough to beat. And and you have a chance in every game, and we certainly did that. So overall, pretty successful. And and. Overall, as a coach, pretty pleased with, with how things went. You always look back kind of on that final game and wish wish some things had gone differently because I think had we been able to win that game, you move on to the Sweet 16, you're thinking, man, we're only we're only three or four wins away from something pretty special here. So obviously some regrets from from maybe the last game, but other than that, just really proud of our kids and, and thought they did a great job all season. Yeah, it's fascinating circumstances for you for w- when you took over the program. You were, were hired in 2020, right around the start of the pandemic, obviously. And, and you're taking over a program that's won four national championships since 2014. So a really top-notch program in Division Three soccer with COVID as a backdrop when you're taking over. What, what was kind of the, the thought process for you coming into Tufts and just, for lack of a better term, just the shoes you're about to fill with also the hardships that, that are being presented to you that are really kind of out of your control? Yeah. Well, I, I I played at Middlebury College in the late 90s, early 2000s, so I, I knew of the NESCAC and what NESCAC men's soccer was like, but the entirety of my coaching career had been outside of the NESCAC. So for 16 or 17 years prior to that, I had been outside of the NESCAC at kind of 
all levels of Division Three soccer is what I, what I always say. So I've, I've been near the bottom and I felt incredibly lucky and fortunate and grateful to to be able to be offered and, and ultimately accept a job at, at somewhere near the top, right? And Tufts was coming off national championship. So, so right at the top. I didn't know that when I accepted the job that five days later, the entire world would shut down. So that, that added yeah. an element to some things. I took the job and I don't think I set foot on campus for six or seven months. So there was... There were some pieces there and obviously everyone went through some stuff, but in a, in a transitional coaching phase, definitely some, some tough, tough things to, to navigate as you're trying to come in as a new coach and get the guys to, to buy in and believe in, in what you maybe have to say. And I certainly wasn't like reinventing the wheel. Coach Superior is now at Harvard is one of my good friends and one of my good colleagues in coaching. And he also played at Middlebury. So we have that connection and there, it wasn't like we needed to come in and just change things drastically. So tried to carry over a lot of what Tufts was already doing, a lot of what Josh had been doing. And we had some incredible players, but certainly were some, some just strange times to navigate. But again, feel really lucky to be here. And I think what Josh did is absolutely incredible for national championships in 10 years and just put this program on the map. And I think Tufts had always been a bit of a sleeping giant and you could see athletically what our entire department is doing certainly led by what the men's soccer program did in the last decade is is incredible but lucky to be part of it and hope that we can keep competing around around the same levels that the program has been yeah and as you the the cover story for the upcoming issue of our magazine which will be out very shortly is is about nescac soccer and how it's become the the dominant league in division three soccer i mean there's there's no question about it just look at the national championships look at the final four appearances williams was right there again this year in 2022 why do you think what is it about the nescac that's kind of allowed it to separate from the rest of the pack i mean there's there's a lot of division three soccer programs out there across the country but but what is it about this region of the country and this league that has has stuck out compared to everyone else yeah, well, I, I'll I'll say this with a caveat because because I coached outside the NESCAC forever, yeah. and so when you coach outside the NESCAC, you kind of look at NESCAC with like a disdain because man, they're, they're really good. And <laughs> yeah, you want to try to you're coaching at Ithaca College, and we played Amherst in the NCAA tournament. And I guess that was 2019, and you want to you want to see how you can stack stack up against the top NESCAC teams and things. But the other piece that I'll add is. There are a bunch of really good teams out there that that don't belong in the NESCAC and Chicago who won this year is certainly one that I think scares all of us because Chicago is one of the best academic institutions in the country. They'd been knocking on the door for a while now, and now they've just won their first. And so you wonder, you wonder in 10 years, how many they all, but there's so many good programs out there, Chicago, Messiah, Calvin, Ohio Wesleyan, Kenya, all these teams. And I'm uh, Johns Hopkins. I'm leaving out a number of them, but I think what makes the NESCAT so incredible and so strong is if you took all, all of those teams I just mentioned and added a couple others and put them into one conference, I think that's what playing in the NESCAC is like. I think the reality is just the way like rankings work and things work. The reality is you'll never have maybe eight NESCAC teams ranked in the top 20 or 25 in the country. But I think the eight best NESCAC team is a top 25 team in the country. Our, our conference is incredible. Incredible coaches, obviously unbelievable players. I think one thing that makes us really unique and, and helps all of us out when national tournament time comes around is our, the teams in our league play in such a variety of ways. There's teams that play direct. There's teams that, there's teams that possess the ball. There's teams that play for, for set pieces. There's teams that are super defensive. There's teams that play on the front foot. There's teams that press. Just the coaching is really, really good in our league. I think, I think, again, there's a lot of really good coaches out there in the country, but I think 
some of the top coaches in Division Three are are in this conference, and it's only it's only getting better. And the coaches that are coming in are, are continuing to be. I mean, two newest coaches in the NESCAC, Ruben and, and Stefan, just won a national championship and lost in the national right. championship game. So it's not getting any easier. But I, I mean, at the end of the day, it comes down to having really special players, and all of us are fortunate to have some of the best players in the country that play Division Three soccer. My theory, and you can correct me if I'm wrong here or, or weigh in on it, is it, it feels to me like the academic standards at these schools, because they're so, so great academically, um, they attract a, a lot of athletes who, who probably maybe, okay, so maybe they're close to a Division One college player, but they may, there's maybe something that's preventing them from being at that level, but they're also great students, so they say, you know what, I'm going to go to this great school, I'm going to get a great education. And I'm also going to play a high level of soccer. And is that is that accurate that the the academic standards kind of help almost the the talent on the field within NESCAC programs? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I think if you look in Division Three, if you look at the top twenty five of the Directors Cup every year, probably twenty of the top twenty five are incredibly high academic schools. So for whatever reason, in the Division Three athletic world, typically the the better students, the better athletic programs. I think we we get some incredibly smart kids. And you're right. I mean, we we just had two recruits here this morning, and like you're having those conversations of the other schools they're looking at are Division One schools, but why are they giving us a look? Is because of the incredible academic opportunities and 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 experience that they can have as as a student at Tufts, combined with the opportunity to play for a, a really good soccer program that competes in arguably the best division three conference in the country against some of the best teams in the country. And kids want that experience of being able to get a really great education, obtain a really valuable degree that will help with them with the rest of their lives while also still competing at a really high level and like chasing, genuinely chasing NESCAC championships and genuinely chasing national championships. It just seems to me within the NESCAC on the men's and women's side, there's just not a lot of room to breathe in between matches. I mean, you'll play Connecticut College one day, and then you'll have Wesleyan coming in the next day, then you'll go to Williams the next the next game. What's that navigation process like? How do you prepare the players for these incredible challenges game in and game out? Yeah, I mean, it's really hard. I think I think in our league it's it's incredibly important to focus very much on the short term. And, and we, I mean, we make it a priority in our program. We, we quite literally never talked about the team that's two games away. We never talked about the team that's three games away. We never talk about the NESCAC tournament or a NESCAC championship. We never talk about a national tournament or a national championship. We just focus on the next game. And I think that's, I think that's probably what, what probably all of us do. Cause that's what coaches we try to do and have our teams do. And obviously Kids, I'm, I mean, I was a player 20 years ago and you, you look ahead and you think of like games that in your mind are the big games, but that's, if you do that in our league, it's a, it's a recipe for disaster because you could be looking ahead to the game that in, in your mind is the big game. And all of a sudden the team that, the team that you're overlooking is in like first place in the NESCAC this year and they're having a great season. And so, I mean, I think it's, it's a really great challenge. I think it's what makes playing in this this league and playing for a team like Tufts so fun because, again, having worked in the rest of Division Three, most leagues have two, three, four top teams, two or three middle-of-the-pack teams, and maybe two or three or four kind of bottom teams. If you're one of those top teams, you're probably going to beat the bottom teams. You're probably going to beat those middle teams, and you really need to be ready for those top games. That just doesn't happen in our league. The the first-place team playing the 11th-place team, like it's going to be a one-goal game. You know, it's, it's potentially going to be a tie. That's it's been the nature of, of our, our league. So it's always going to be a battle. It's always going to be a challenge. I think it's really fun as a player to know 
that every single time you lace up your boots, like you are in a battle. And if you're not really good on that day, you'll lose. So super small margins. Most of our games are, are, are I think like 40% of our games were ties this year in the net stack, <laughs> something like that. But most of our games are either ties or one goal games. And so it's a great challenge, but it's also, I think one of those reasons why we're so prepared when the NCAA tournament comes around where you're going to be playing good teams back-to-back days. Like we've done that all season. You, you can't overlook any opponent and once you get through one game, you just have to focus on, on the next one. New England's soccer journal's The Goal will return after this. Hey, here's a great new idea in fundraising. Soccerhead's New England Comedy Fundraisers. This is better than a stand-up show. It's an event that your community will never forget. You'll get soccer-themed comedy with Paul Nardizzi, who has been on Conan O'Brien, and Nesson Comedy All-Stars, along with Dave Radigan from Serious Radio Comedy, and Jim Roberti. There will also be giveaways and all sorts of extras. Want to make money for your soccer club and have fun while doing it? Email the guys at SoccerHeadsNewEngland at gmail.com. That's SoccerHeadsNewEngland at gmail.com. Are you serious about playing your sport in college? Do you need a flexible education that allows you to maintain your practice and competition schedules while also preparing you to succeed at the next level? You should check out the University of Nebraska High School. UNHS is accredited and offers more than 100 online courses, including NCAA-approved courses to protect your academic eligibility. Students could earn a UNHS diploma or take a single course for transfer credit. Courses are college prep, self-paced, and available 24-7, 365. Enroll anytime and take up to a year to complete a course. Visit highschool.nebraska.edu today. Looking to keep up with all the latest news and information on New England soccer? New England Soccer Journal and NESoccerJournal.com are the premier resources for information and inspiration on the New England soccer scene. Have every issue of New England Soccer Journal, the magazine, delivered to your home or office. And don't forget to stay in the game every day with a digital subscription to NESoccerJournal.com to receive soccer coverage on clubs, college commits, prep and high school, division one, two, and three colleges, showcases, rankings, and so much more. Get in the game and behind the scenes now by going to anysoccerjournal.com. Just click on the subscribe button and start the subscription that is right for you today. New England Soccer Journal is a Siemens Media publication. Siemens Media. Inspiring. Informative. Insightful. I would think that, especially in the Northeast, for for super talented players who are who are looking as at the D three pathway, that UNESCAC programs are having some pretty competitive battles for recruits and trying to land similar recruits and sell them on your program. How how tricky are those are those recruiting battles to navigate and sell players on your program as opposed to say Wesleyan or William or anybody within the within the league. How, how how tough are those things to 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 lure lure players in? Yeah. Well, firstly, I think they're great battles to have, and it means if if we're talking to a school and Amherst and Middlebury are also talking to a school or William, any yeah. of Vanessa, any of us, or Chicago, or it means we're talking to the right player, right? right? We're talking to really good players that are smart kids. I think each of our schools have their own advantages. I think this year, like I was, it was funny to me that people were like surprised by Williams College making a run to the national championship game 
like Williams College is the most storied men's soccer program in Division, <laughs> in Division three, and the number one or number two liberal arts college in the country. So it wasn't a surprise to me at all. But I think we all have our, our own advantages. Tufts, we're, I think we're, we're the outlier in, in a lot of ways, right? We're quite a bit different than a lot of the Nescax. We're much bigger. We're in a city. So I, like, I would actually say that we probably have less of those battles and we we honestly tend to recruit more against Patriot League schools and like the University of Chicago's of the world, mm -hmm. I think, than we do against the other NESCACs, which is fine by me. It means we're not going to battle with, with all the NESCACs sure. every sing for every single kid. And we don't get me wrong. We still we had a recruit here today that's going to tour three of the other NESCAC schools this week. So it certainly, it certainly still happens, but really good battles to have. You're talking to the right players. And I think an interesting piece that I don't know if like folks realize is at the end of the day, us as coaches, we're all doing the same thing, right? Like we all, we all aspire to, to win a lot of games. We all aspire to win NESCAC championships. We all aspire to make NCAA tournaments and try to make final fours and try to win national championships. But the reality is we're all like also quite good friends. We often share hotel rooms when we go work camps or share hotel rooms or rental cars, or we grab dinner together. I think, I think sometimes like people want to create these like rivalries and on, on game day, we have amazing rivalries and, and super competitive and you're not always seeing eye to eye with everyone on for the 90 minutes that are happening. But in general, I think something that makes our league really special is like most of us as coaches are actually very, are not even just colleagues, like we're, we're actually genuine good friends. And I think at the end of the day, from a recruiting standpoint, while we may want a kid, if he chooses, if he chooses Wesleyan or he chooses Bowdoin or something like that, like if that's the best fit for that student, then, then so be it. At the end of the day, we're division three soccer coaches and we want to win, but ultimately it's about hopefully providing a, a developmental and, a, and an educational pathway for, for, a, for an 18 year old kid. And hopefully they get their choice right. Right. And, and as humans, you guys have been there before, especially as former players. I mean, you've chosen, you chose your school based on what was the best path for you. So it's, it's, I mean, you can never really get mad at a kid for, for going in the direction that it's best for them. With that being said, what do you look for most in a recruit? What are kind of the three or are there, are there, if there's like a power rankings of, of what you're trying to find in a player, what would it be? I mean, for us, you have to be able to play soccer. Soccer, I think I really value soccer players and you have to have a certain level of technical ability. You have to have the, the soccer element more than, more than just the, the size or the, the athletic element, I, I think. A second piece for us, and, and this is where like pandemic recruiting was tricky and it's, we're now kind of back to normal recruiting where we see a kid five or 10 times before we actually potentially like talk to them about coming to our school is, is really identifying players with incredible competitive spirits, college soccer in general, but division three soccer, certainly you're going to be playing some of the, the least amount of structured soccer that you've played in your, since you're about five years old, probably, or 10 years old. And so it's really important to find competitive driven student athletes who want to get better on their own. So that's a, that's a really important piece for us. And then we have some principles where we're a, like a energetic, high pressing team. We want to play in the opponent's half. So work great and, and finding guys who, who want to run and want to press and want to be, there's, there's definitely a level of athleticism that's required to, to be a really good player in our team, but those are three of them. And then there's obviously like a number of intangible pieces. We want good people. We're not going to recruit anyone if we don't believe they're a great person and would be a great teammate as well. Now, we mentioned you played at Middlebury, and I, I believe you're, you're still the program's all-time leading scorer. Is that correct? Humble, humble brag here for you if you want to. I could say I, it. I, we, don't need it. we don't need your words. I could say it. I'm one, I'm one or two. I, yeah. I, I had one or two of them, and I know a guy named Adam Glazer. I, I bought him a plaque when he broke one of the records. So I know that, I know that well, either the points or the goals record right. is, is not mine anymore. And now you were also a member of the ski team there too as well, right? 
Yeah, I was a I was a two sport athlete, and so if you ask my, I mean, Middle Bear skiing is incredible, right? And like right. USD team members and stuff. So right. if you ask my, if you ask Middle Bear skiers if I was part of the ski team, they might have a different answer. But I was I was technically <laughs> I was technically on the Division One Middle Bear ski team, but I was a peripheral member of that team and probably a much more integral member of the soccer team. But I love dual I love dual sport athletes. We still I, I mean if I. If we ever, we have a kid right now playing basketball, it's coming in next year. Like, so we, we still look for that. I think that, I think that there can be elements of playing multiple sports that could really help you in, in college as well. I was going to say, how much has, has the NESCAC changed since your playing days? And you feel like, are you definitely seeing the days of the, of the multi-sport college athlete dwindling or, or even to take it a step further, the, the days of like the three-sport high school athlete? I mean, you've seen that kind of die a slow death here over over the course of the last couple decades yeah i mean i think you are i think it's inevitable as much as i like dual sport athletes and and would love for tri sport athletes i guess to to still be a thing i think the level of soccer players that we have in this country now is just so great Mm. that if you're not investing significant amounts of time it's probably really hard to make it to a high division three level even. And so it's, it's harder and harder, but we still, we still look for them. I always joke when I was a freshman in college, there was a senior on our team named John Giannakopoulos. His brother, Teddy played at Williams. They're a great soccer family from Massachusetts. And my joke, John was an all-American hockey player and an all-American soccer player. And I just was like, this is, this is like, this is so horrible. He's, he's, he's an all-American hockey player and he's a better soccer player than I, the one thing I'm good that's at. That's not he's, fair. Yeah. He's so better than me at that too. So that's, just, <laughs> but there aren't too many of those, there aren't too, too many of those left. Right. Has, has, I mean, w- the NESCAC has always been strong, but what was it like when you were playing within the conference? Was it just super competitive? Is it similar to what you think it is right now too? It's funny. So my, my assistant coaches, like if I ever hop in a, a finishing exercise. I don't, I don't hop in and like play with the, I'm 42 now. So I'm yeah. like slow and old, but if we're just doing like some finishing exercises, I'll hop in and, and talk, talk crap to the goalkeepers and stuff occasionally. <laughs> My assistant coaches always joke when I, whenever I talk about goal scoring and they just say, yeah, but when you played, you were playing against, against farmers and you were playing <laughs> against base, baseball players and hockey players uh. and soccer players. And they're probably partially true. Yeah. Uh, but you know, the NESCAP was really good. I played when I was in college was Williams. Had, I was in, I was there 99 to 2003. Williams had won in whatever that was, 95 or 96. I was in the generation of when Williams was amazing and had all the Jamaican guys, Joseph Powell, Carr Stevenson, who played for like 15 years in MLS and Alex Blake and maybe some others. But I think it was a different world in those. There were only two. It's funny, like kind of remember your college career in the details, but <laughs> podcasts and websites and articles and New England Soccer Journal and things didn't exist in those days. Right. So you didn't necessarily know all the ins and outs of Division Three soccer, even as an athlete. But when I was there, it was the time of there were only like two at-large bids in the whole country. So you basically had to win the NESCAC. I think I think maybe one year when I was in college did a non-NESCAC champion team actually make the NCAA tournament. So I think if, I, I, I don't know, I, maybe I'm wrong, but I feel like if three or four NESCAC teams were making the NCAA tournament back then, that probably some teams would have won some more national championships or been in and around the final four, maybe more than they actually were. So we had a story on our website recently about increased practice time, increased spring practice time for division three programs across the country, but not included in that is, is the NESCAC. You guys will not receive that, that increased practice time. I got to imagine that that's a massive benefit for the programs that will be able to have that because that's just more time on the field and more work put in. Do you feel like that could also be on the horizon for the NESCAC though? 
Yeah, I mean, I think it's a great development for Division Three athletics in general. I think it had always been the, the 15 practice opportunities with one play day, but you had to do that in a five-week period. And they made that made the parameters just much more lenient. And so now it's 24 days and they, there's no, like, you have to do it in six weeks, you have to do it in eight weeks. You, so, I mean, if I were, if I had those rules, I think I'd probably train. I'd either train three times a week for two months or I'd train twice a week for three months. I think that would be amazing. I don't think it's asking too much of a Division three student athlete. I think they want to train. It's not like you're going six days a week. Where the NESCAC fits in that, I think we were unfortunately a little bit surprised that the NESCAC presidents went back on, we went back to the the old NESCAC rules this year with no non-traditional season. So I'm not going to get myself in trouble here on, a, on an interview, <laughs> but I am. I'm certainly hopeful. I, I believe they'll continue to to evaluate and reevaluate that decision. Certainly student mental health has been a really important topic in, in recent times. And I think any more touch points that the kids can get with their coaches and with their team is is important. And people ultimately like to play the sport that they chose to play in college. So I'm hopeful that the NESCAC will potentially reevaluate that and give us non-traditional seasons. Even if it's not the full 24 days, maybe we take the old division three rule and we get 15 days or something like that. So right. hopefully you can't necessarily say it's been a deterrent to actual success within the NESCAC as the conference has continued to do so well on a national stage each year. You made a good point that I, I think players would embrace more practice time in the spring. I it, Do you think there, are there any division three players these days that do you think go the division three route because they feel like it will be less of a commitment than division one, or do you feel like are the kids who are playing division three right now, are they still, they want to play as much soccer as possible and they're not looking for like a scaled down version of, of college soccer. Yeah. I think somewhere, honestly, I think somewhere in between those yeah. two areas. I, I mean, I think like some kids, some kids do choose to come to the NESCAC over a division one opportunity or come to Tufts over a division one opportunity. Because they do want a little more free time in the spring semester. That, that That's a real thing. That being said, ultimately, I think our players strive to become the best player that they can become. They want to compete for NESCAC championships. They want to compete for national championships. And they know that takes a lot of hard work. But our guys are always going to study abroad when they're juniors. So nothing's going to change there. If we have a spring season in the future, we're still going to encourage our juniors to all go abroad. I think it's a, I think you just have a little bit more leniency and ability potentially as a Division three student athlete, like if you want to take 22 credits in the spring semester, you can, because you have a little bit more time or you want to load up on your hardest classes that you're going to have to take during your time in college, like take them during the spring semester when you have a little more time. So there, there's a, there's a piece to it. I think, I think sometimes kids do want a little more freedom and I, I actually applaud them for knowing that like maybe some of them aren't necessarily up for like the 6am lifts right. four days a week in January and February and March. And they just know that about themselves. Not that there's a right and wrong or good and bad to any of that, but, but you get, you get a mix. You get, I mean, we have guys, we see them they're in this building right? and they're all on their own right now. Nothing's mandated. We can't track anything, but there's guys I see in this building five days a week right now. And there's guys I see in this building three days a week. So there's, there's everything from in between that. And that, and that's okay. That's okay. Each, each player's a little bit on their own path and on journey. What are these months like for you as a coach, you know, kind of these late winter heading into spring? We mentioned you, you, you will have some spring practices, but what are these months like for you gearing up for the 2023 season? Yeah, these months, our recruiting at the, the high academic level ends up being quite early. And so we're more or less, we're more or less on like the Division One calendar from recruiting. So we're, we're, we've been done with 2023s for a while now and we're fully into 2024 recruiting. And so this is actually like the heavy recruiting period. I'm hopping on a plane in two days to head to the 
the thing at IMG in, in Florida. Oh, right. Yeah. We've we've been everywhere at all the big MLS Next and ECNL events and some other things. So it's a heavy recruiting period. I think basically from the time the season ends until until the middle of middle to late next summer, you're on to that next class of guys. I, I think I will I will say it's also a time where like you can see my whiteboard behind me and some of our our magnets with our guys' names on. It's also a time where you and your staff like put up your lineup and your formation and your systems and you talk through set pieces about 2000 times between now and next August, right? <laughs> and, and start to think about things and what you might do. And then you realize, oh, you know, we don't actually have practice for seven months. But so it's a little bit of that. And I mean, I, like selfishly, that's part of the the hope of why I would love, I hope we get non-traditional seasons back because I, the reality is I love to coach. I love to coach the game. I love to be around our players. It's the most fun part of our job is being around our student athletes and engaging with them and getting better with them. And so, yeah, I mean, that that's a real piece. I, I really do hope from a coaching standpoint, I think, I don't think there's a coach out there that would say, hi, oh, I'm really glad we don't get to train in the spring. I think every, every single one of us wants to be out there with our kids. Right. Do you still do any skiing these days? Do you find much time to get on the mountains? I do. I do a bit. My wife's a better skier than I am. I mean, our, our four-year-old is just starting. So it's been a tough snow year. Oh, I know. I was going to say, yeah. It hasn't been that, honestly, it hasn't been that inspiring or motivating to get out there on on the slopes, but I think we're calling for some snow over the next 10 days. So yep. we're hoping when, once I get back, I'll get nice and tan or sunburned Lord, in the next few days and then get, get our son Griffin out on out on the slopes in the, in the coming weeks. Nice. I'm the opposite. I'm ready for golf season. I want this all to go yeah. away. Let's get out on the golf course a little bit. Yeah, I'm always ready for golf. Yeah. <laughs> Awesome. Well, hey, Kyle, thanks for joining us. This was great. And obviously, uh, we'll be in contact a bunch uh, coming up and, and best of luck in the 2023 season, although I'm sure I'll talk to you before then. Yeah, thanks so much. Thanks so much for for the podcast, but also just you guys and New England Soccer Journal, you do you do a ton for us and 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 youth soccer and all soccer in New England and are a great resource. And I, I love I love checking the Twitter feed and reading the articles and listening to the podcast. But thanks. Thanks for all you guys do, too. It's really important. Much appreciated. Thank you. Thanks again to Kyle Desitel for joining the podcast. I'm Matt Langoni. Thanks for listening. New England Soccer Journal's The Goal Podcast is produced by David Yaz and is a Siemens Media production. You've been listening to New England Soccer Journal's The Goal Podcast. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe wherever you listen to our podcast. Or visit anysoccerjournal.com forward slash podcast. Siemens Media. Inspiring informative, insightful.